Welcome to the Primal Endurance Podcast. Slow down and enjoy the show, where we rap, literally, about everything you need to know. I'm your host, Brad Kearns. Are you ready? Let's go. Dude Spillings is here in his hometown of Austin, Texas. Yay. Can you believe what's happened in this place? I mean, you grew up here. I, I did grow up here, and uh, like I was telling you last night, uh, over one million people have moved to Austin since I graduated high school. Okay, so how many people total live here? Uh, I think the Metroplex is a little over two million. Right, so you've seen a town double in front of your eyes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. More than that. I mean, when I graduated high school, I think the city limit signs said 450,000. Right, and now it's two yeah, and unique to this place. It's so incredibly health conscious and progressive culture with the music and the 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 fitness scene, and uh, it's it's pretty impressive. A pretty cool place to live. I guess everybody who's cool in Texas comes here eventually. Is that what happens? <laughs> uh, I don't want to. Um, you don't want to offend the great the great city of Houston and Dallas. Yeah, I, not to mention Waco and El Paso. Waco's up and coming, man. Is that uh, so? It is. Yeah, yeah. it is. Um, they have some uh, basketball team there. I can't remember their name. There's a women's team that's pretty good. UCLA is oh. better, I know, but oh, Baylor. Oh, Baylor. Yeah, that's right. Oh, they're pretty good. Yeah, they just won the national title. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, there's lots of cool places in Texas. I lived in Houston for eight years, and um, I always tell people I had more culture shock moving from Austin to Houston than I did Texas to Oregon. But why is that? Uh, just totally different um, vibe, you know. Diff- like, you know, you were saying Austin's real um, outdoorsy and fitness oriented and all that, and Houston's definitely not really that way. Uh, I remember, like, the first week I moved to Houston, I was at this. Uh, stoplight and the car in front of me just opened the door of their car and like dumped out all this garbage. (laughs) And I was like, no, wait, no, no, you can't do that. But you know, it's just a different mindset down there. But I will say this, uh, I lived in Houston um, during Katrina and the people of Houston are absolutely amazing. They, I mean, that whole city just opened up their arms to all those people from uh, Louisiana. And, you know, they, there was a, uh, there's a big convention center down there. And even the mayor was like, uh, okay, we're going to shut down the conventions. We're going to use the convention center to host uh, refugees. And that's what we're doing. And all the, there's like a huge convention planned. And they were like, no, no, you can't do this. And it's like, yeah, no, we can. But this is our latest software release. We have to. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you have a long background in endurance sports, and it's been uh, very interesting because you've done your different paths, including the recent times of the primal endurance scene and uh, transforming your body, even though you're you know, already an accomplished endurance athlete. So I want to get a little background, especially the, the early days when you were a uh, high school champion and then carrying on with, uh, with your running passion, then finding some different approaches that work better. Okay. Um, yeah, I hadn't really talked too much about um, my high school track days. So uh, we have to practice doing that, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So in the high older sc- you get, the faster you were. That's, <laughs> That's how true. the saying goes. That's totally true. Um, so in high school, um, 
I was, I was really kind of small in high school and, uh, the track coach approached me and was like, Hey, you know, you, you, you might give track a try since, you know, you're like this little guy that's not going to be good at football. And, uh, so I'm like, okay, well, I'll give it a try. And to be honest, I wasn't really that good at, at the beginning, but, uh, had a, a coach who really kind of just nurtured, uh, my interest and, and, um, was, you know, patient and, you know, my freshman year, I, you know, didn't do anything notable at all. But by the time I was a, um, junior, uh, won the state, um, two a, which is, you know, and I don't, I don't know how all states rank their high school sizes, but in Texas, it goes from when I was a kid, it was two a to five a now they've added six a. So two a is pretty small school. Our, my graduating class was 37 people, so that'll give you an idea. But anyway, won the state um, title in the mile and the two mile in my junior year, uh, repeated in senior year, um, added the mile relay in the senior year. Uh, I had no business running the mile relay. I was so slow, but uh, they needed a fourth, so I stepped up. Um, uh, just, I had a lot of... Uh, um, like a lot of people had, you know, some family drama going on in high school. My dad had married, uh, uh, his second wife and it was really just no fun being at home. So I just ran a lot. Uh, it was 12 miles to school and I would, I used usually would run to school and usually run home. Serious. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, then, uh, at, at PE, so, you know, having a really small school like that. So my track coach was also the athletic director and the PE teacher. And so in PE class, while everyone else was, you know, doing whatever they were doing, I don't even know, cause I was never went, he was just like, yeah, just go run. And, uh, that was, and our high school was actually, you know, talk about the growth of Austin, our high school was actually kind of on the outskirts of Austin back then. And, uh, it was along the Barton Creek Greenbelt. And I would just run in the trails for hours. And, and that was, and I didn't really know it, you know, but I was, I was kind of approaching a math type, uh, um, training regimen. You know, I had, I would just go out and run. I wouldn't have any, uh, set goals or times or anything I was trying to hit. Just, you know, you got an hour for PE, just go run for an hour. It's probably superior in many ways to today's over caffeinated, uh, high school coach who's pushing these poor kids to hit these workout times and repeatedly, you know, engage in high intensity workouts just because this seems to be the norm. I'm not just making this story up, but it seems like everywhere you go, uh, the kids are getting injured, burnt out, pushing really, really hard, getting whistles blown in their face, timed on the track. And that's their experience of distance running. And we're trying so hard to spread this message that it mostly is about, uh, some, somebody like you jogging through the trails and enjoying the nature and the whole experience. And, um, I had a great experience in high school running too, cause we did a lot of goofing around and not, you know, not always, uh, super competitive in training. 
but we're just putting in the work, putting in the time. And then when it's time to go hard, you get on the track and get timed and uh, it's a nice balance. Yeah. Um, so what I described is mostly like cross country season. Um, during track season, I have no doubt we were overtrained. And to your point, um, my, my daughter actually goes to the same high school I went to. So I went and volunteered to, uh, for the track meet up there um, last spring. And to your point, there was, I mean, I couldn't believe the number of kids that were walking around injured and limping and uh, on crutches even. I mean, like, I, I, I don't remember that volume of kids being injured when I was in track, but maybe we were, I don't know. But uh, during, so in the cross country season, yeah, it was a lot of just easy chill running, um, running to school, that kind of thing. But then during track season, I have no doubt we were overtrained. We, we would routinely do 20 to 24, uh, 400 meter interval repeats and just, you know, you're, I was completely demolished by the end of that. And, you know, I, I look back on that now and think, you know, maybe instead of doing 24 quarters, may, you know, maybe doing like eight would at a faster time would have been, uh, you know, more effective training. Yeah, that's maybe we've come made some progress from we, we know about the old days of Jim Ryan and the, the great high school runners that would do these insane workouts. And even, even the elite runners were just pushing their body to the limit. And some of them survived and set world records and a lot of them fell apart. And now I think finally in, in the last decade, maybe in the United States, there's been a resurgence in, in distance running and coming into the Olympics. We have many of the top runners in the world, but we were disappeared for maybe 20 or 30 years yeah. and it was all Africans and then some uh, European nations and some pockets of talent in other places like New Zealand. But, um, it's, you know, we, we got a lot of people here and a lot of sophisticated technology advancements that, you know, should, should lend us to producing great runners, but it's only just happened. And I think the final breakthrough has been to, to harness all that technology and be smart about it. And now we're getting these athletes that are trained, better than any athlete ever has been this this stuff going on up in Oregon with Salazar and Galen Rupp and Mo Farah I mean these guys they know how to work hard and and prepare to the highest level that humans ever perform but they also are very good it seems that resting recovering maybe advancements in uh, technology and the nutrition area and the um, the legal doping if you want to call it that I I don't want to call it anything else because it's pretty we all have to acknowledge that we're drawing a line in the sand when we talk about doping or not doping and that creatine, which you can go buy in the GNC or over, over the internet right now is a, is a known performance enhancer. It helps your body chemistry, uh, you know, preserve lean muscle mass, build muscle, recover faster, all that stuff. And it's, there's hundreds of studies showing this stuff really works. So you're getting an advantage over a guy who's drinking water, but that's legal. And then EPO's not. It's, uh, it's an interesting, dilemma we have in sports that way yeah definitely but today's athlete you don't think that guy's got stuff going in his body left and right day and night um that's that's just not true there's a lot going on and it it helps and if you do it right and fair i I appreciate that too you know that my problem with doping is if you're knowingly getting an advantage over your competitors 
then you're a disgraceful, pathetic, you know, piece of dirt that should go to jail if we're watching you on TV, especially. Well, what, what, what if, uh, it's widely known that everyone's doing it. Yeah. I mean, like Lance, you know, he, he, he stumbled and jumbled his confession on Oprah, but his point was really important. We shouldn't throw out, um, all the nonsense. We should zero in and go, Oh, I see. So every cyclist in the Tour de France was doped off their ass for, uh, you know, those period of time and, and before and after. Oh, so I get it now. And that's, you know, that, that's the major message that we take from the Lance era. And instead people have been, looking at him as like, oh yeah, he's the one that cheated in the Tour de France. I'm like, uh... Yeah, I think they had to go down, I I forget the number, but I think they had to go down to like 17th place or something like that to, um, to, um, you know, award the finisher that wasn't doping. Yeah, (laughs) hypothetically. Obviously, the 17th guy was the the, the first guy that wasn't caught. Yeah. Uh, But it's, you know, it's... And then, you know, uh, we don't hear much about it today. You can speculate that all these sports are cleaned up. Um, I don't think so. I think they're just figuring out ways to, we know about microdosing from Tyler Hamilton's book and, uh, people are now knowing how to beat these tests. The tests are pretty good, but they're not, uh, you, you could never, uh, you know, follow a guy around 24 seven. So, yeah. um, whatever, man, it's in some cases, the, the regimens, uh, help protect their health from their crazy ass training program. So they're better off putting this and that into their body rather than trying to be uh, water and uh, uh, grass fed steak and pasture raised eggs. I didn't think about that. That's kind of a cool point that, uh, you know, m- maybe the uh, maniacal training requires the, uh, the doping just to not break down. Well, we're uh, having a wonderful segue, which is why we have you on the podcast, because we're, we're talking all day long and driving around, and it, two-thirds of it's good quality podcast material, the other third we can uh, leave yeah, in yeah. The, keep it in there. What happens in Austin stays in Austin. There you go. Uh, but my contention, I was racing professional for nine years, traveling around the world, training really hard, putting my body through all kinds of things, and I had, uh, thankfully, my brother was working in a hospital lab, so I could go get my blood test at any time, and I'd go in there when I was tired, and draw the blood, and I'd get, look at my hematocrit, my testosterone, and these things would tank routinely. I have a full full file folder full of blood results for my my duration of time as an athlete. I had hypotestosterone many times. My hematocrit would go from 42, 44 healthy down to 36, 38, which is the red blood cell count in your body. Uh, so the, the athletes that are taking EPO, that... Uh, uh, quintessential endurance athlete doping drug, they will peg their hematocrit at 50. And so that means they're getting more red blood cells circulating through their blood and processing oxygen than the guy who's fighting that battle and trying not to break down from the training. And so if you're getting more red blood cells circulating while you're training every single day and you wake up the next morning, you feel pretty good. Oh, yeah. Instead of you feel trashed. And then I'm feeling trashed and trying to go perform a workout anyway with, with not a lot of oxygen circulating through my bloodstream. It's overall more stressful. Same with the um, male hormones. If you just spike those and, and peg them at a high level, we know what happens when we see guys in the gym. Yeah. I've talked to long-time strength guys where, you know, yeah, I, I lifted weights for about 14 years really seriously from high school through, you know, my 30s. And he would see guys enter the gym. He'd mentor them. They were weaklings, and then six weeks later, they were outlifting him. 
even though he has 10 years experience. And it's because they're on a doping regimen and he was, he was clean. He didn't care to do that stuff. But the gains that you can make from, it's basically compressing the recovery time is what the doping is all about. It's not like you're uh, sniffing coke at the starting line and jacked up and beat everybody. It's more like, you know, allowing your body to uh, uh, recover in a compressed time period and getting back and doing more and more and more work and improving and improving and never falling apart. Yeah. You think there's a, a, a long-term cost to it though? Like, you know, it's, it seems intuitively, it seems to me like, okay, the natural cycle is, you know, you have to let your body recover and regrow those red blood cells on its own. So if you artificially supply it, right, are you robbing Peter to pay Paul and later down the line something, something else is going to break, but you are going to win the race in the short term? <laughs> well, is there a long-term cost to working 60 hours a week uh, during your 20s trying to rise your way up to the corporate ladder or what have you, or coaching uh, too many huge sports and also trying to hold down a job and all these things? I think there's extreme long-term costs and the long-term costs of me just for 10 years of my life being, being that athletic uh, phase uh, was, you know, it was disastrous. I, I feel like I aged twice as many years in 10 years. So I probably aged 20 years. Oh, wow. And uh, that could be validated by science and looking at my blood work and looking at these things that are suboptimal. Uh, you, you get oxidative damage, you get accelerated, uh, uh, you have cell division from eating, stuffing your face with food all the time and, you know, speeding up those growth cycles that uh, represent aging. So I've been trying to unwind that for the last, let's see, I've been done for 24 years, so I shouldn't make any more excuses about what I did when I was a youth, but um, y- you can regenerate and, and kind of uh, uh, make up for that, that damage. And the body really likes to do that. The body is very receptive to treating it right and regaining your health from these stressful periods where things were out of balance. But, oh my gosh, yeah, the cost is extreme. So then, like, your question is, well, what if I'd taken those 10 years and and doped off my ass every second of that time? So I had high blood oxygen all the time and high testosterone. Yeah, they're... That, that's probably not a great thing to do to your body, right? but I'm going to venture to say that it's better than what I did was try to be Mr. Clean Machine and not take anything. I didn't take ibuprofen. I didn't take Tylenol. I didn't take caffeine. Uh, the caffeine argument, I don't know, uh, listeners, maybe you'll agree or disagree. My thinking was, if I wake up and feel like crap and have bags under my eyes, I want to fully experience that fatigue so I can make the right training decision. Whereas if I go and God, I got to get over to Starbucks first before I put on my running shoes and get out. Um, I didn't, I knew that would work, right? Right. We we all know how we can get slammed and and get jacked up and also crank up the heavy metal music. Can't be king of the world if you're slave to the grind. Um, That stuff will work. That's what you're going to pay down the street. I think in three days, it is short term cost of slamming caffeine going and doing a workout that you don't deserve to do that day that's part i wanted to guard against yeah so i guess uh the listener can evaluate all these things and we can we can bring it back to uh to focus here but that's what i uh appreciate about you you're into the primal health coach thing you've been deep into the endurance scene of course the speed golf scene but your passion is seemingly to just dive into stuff and gain some really valuable insights, a lot of them steeped in science and, 
is kind of getting you making great progress down all those disparate paths. So I guess we'll bring it back to saying like we have the endurance track and then the primal track. And now they're, they're merged nicely with primal endurance and yep. um, people are receptive to this. But it, I think it really represents a completely different um, uh, protocol to use to apply to these endurance goals. So now I'm going to set you up and say, what kind of endurance athlete were you like before uh, your, your recent evolution? And then talk about how that's changed. Because you showed me a picture last night. I'm oh, like, yeah. who's that fat guy? You're like, <laughs> dude, that's me. I'm like, whoa. And, and not only that, you ran several ultras that year. Yeah. What did you weigh? And like, what do you weigh now? What, how, what was that whole deal? So, so now I, I weigh between 165 and 170. And uh, the fat picture you saw, I was about, I don't know exactly, but at my peak, I was 213. So, and you were running. Yeah. You were on the well, starting line. Well, well I, I wasn't running when I was 213, but I probably was when I was 200, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, so after high school, I, I had never run, a, uh, even though I was running all that distance, I'd never run a marathon. And so then somewhere in my 20s, I, someone invited me to run a marathon. So I was like, okay, yeah, sure. So did that. Um, did you have to train or just go off your state champion uh, uh, pr- pedigree? Pr- pretty much the latter. <laughs> uh, it's, it was actually really funny. Uh, I was working with this woman. I was like 25. She was like 45. And she was like, hey, you know, you, you jog. You should, you should run this marathon with us. I was like, okay. Okay, Cougar, I will. Thanks. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and she's like, okay, well, every Saturday we meet here to train. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. You misunderstand. I didn't say I was going to train with you. I'd, I'll just run the marathon with you, right? Well, you know, she'd asked me like six months in advance. And every day, every week she's coming in, hey, have you started training yet? Have you started training yet? And um, I was running, you know, like three miles a day or whatever. Um, and I just figured, you know, I'll just go to the um, trail and I'll run like 15 miles, um, you know, like a month before the marathon and, you know, see how it goes. If, if I need to run more than that, I will. So that's what I did about a month before I went to this trail and I, I ran 15 and I felt pretty good. And I'm like, I could go a little more. So then I ran 18 and I felt pretty good. And I said, I'll go a little more. I ended up running 21 and thought, well, you know, if I can do 21, I could do 26. So I'm good. So I went back to the office and told her, uh, yeah, I ran 21 yesterday. And she's like, what? You haven't been training? You just ran 21 miles? Like, yeah. So anyway, uh, that marathon kind of got me into seeing how far I could go, you know. And once I ran the marathon, I ran a few more. And then once I uh, learned that there was such a thing as ultras, I was like, okay, well, man, let me see if I could do that. So then I ran a few um, 50Ks, and I started looking then, okay, well, now let's I've done a 50K, like in Houston, where it's, like, super flat. Now let me see if I can do one in the mountains where it's, like, hard. And just started, always was upping the ante. And uh, all during this time, you know, if you've been to an ultra, you've seen the aid stations. There's Oreos and chocolate chip cookies and gummy bears and all this stuff at these aid stations. And yeah, your crew in Western States will go to In-N-Out 
burger and then meet you at mile 68 with In-N-Out Burger. That's right. I'm just shaking my head like, really? You're, <laughs> you're trying to run across the mountains and you're shoveling shit down your throat? It doesn't seem to add up. But, oh, they've, they've earned a free pass. They deserve it because they're working so hard and run so far. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. No. Sorry, ultra aid station people. If you're offended, the Oreos, it's, yeah, well, we'll figure out what to do. Dude's going to explain. So I always pass these aid stations and like I, I didn't need the fuel, right? I'm like, I'm good. And uh, then I tried a 50 miler, right? So I did this 50 miler and um, now I, looking back, I know it was electrolyte issues, right? But around mile 35, it was a really hot day. 35, I come in, like I've got vertigo, room spinning. I'm like barely can stand up and balance myself. And I, at the time, I thought it was electrolyte issues, right? And so I went up to this aid station and, and I said, hey, I need to talk to somebody that knows about electrolytes. And they're like, oh, you need Bob. And it's like this old guy comes out, he's, you know, like grizzled veteran runner. He's like 75 years old working the aid station now. And he's like, yeah, what's going on? I told him and he says, oh, yeah, you, you need to sit down in the shade. You can kiss your PR goodbye. I'll get you to the finish line, but it's going to be rough. So he, he made me some chicken soup and uh, it was like the, the bouillon cubes. He made it super, super rich and thick and added extra salt. And you could, it's like almost intolerable to, to drink. It was so salty, but he's like, yeah, this is, you know, that's what's going to get you to the finish line. And so I finished the, I did finish the race. Um, my first 50 miler, I think it was like 11 hours and 50 minutes or something like that within an hour and a half sitting under a shade tree. Wow. And, um, when I got done, you know, I was talking with all my running buddies and they were like, uh, oh yeah, no, you didn't, you didn't, uh, run out of electrolytes, man. You bonked. Yeah, man. Like you never eat anything during these runs. You got to start eating stuff. And what'd you eat the night before? You need to be carbon up and pasta carbo loading and all this stuff. And so I, I bought the line, right? Hook, line and sinker. And that's when you went from 200 to 213. <laughs> well, I, I hadn't started gaining weight then. That was in my early thirties. And, but once I started following the, the regimen of, uh, I mean, these guys were prescribing, they're like, oh yeah, you got to have a gel every half hour. Right. So, you know, you're running a set your beeper alarm on your watch. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and so I started eating all, and, and then of course, you know, Hey, if the, the gels are good on the race, well, they're going to be good on the training run too. Right. So now I'm like slamming 15 gels and in, in the races I'm doing on the weekends and I'm slamming six or 10 gels on my training runs during the week. And Oh, and I'm running all the time, so I need to eat pasta all the time. And so I just jumped on this bandwagon of like, you got to have all carbs all the time. And, and it was really wild. I went from, you know, passing the aid stations and like feeling just fine, like no problem, uh, finishing the races. And, and, you know, I was not, I've never been a, um, elite, uh, ultra runner. Um, you know, I finished middle of the pack or whatever, but, um, you know, I had no problems, but I went from that to like, all of a sudden I'm gaining weight. And so basically what you're saying is endurance running was your gateway drug 
to carb addiction. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Let's put that as the title of the show, man. There that's crazy. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's that's mind blowing. That's exactly what's going on. It sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, it's and it's this insidious weight gain, right? So I didn't go from one sixty five to two thirteen like in a few months or even just a couple years. You know, this is we're talking like between the ages of uh, like. 31 and 37, right? So like uh, six or seven years. And, um, you know, it, you, everyone chalks it up to, oh, you're just getting older, right? Your metabolism is slowing down because you're not in your 20s anymore. And, you know, that I'm living proof now. I'm 48. I'll be 49 next month. And I eat a tremendous amount of food, but I eat, you know, basically paleo primal and I don't gain weight, you know, avoid those, uh, the sugar and added sugar and processed carbs. And, you know, I, I get finished with a run and, you know, if I'm a lot of times I'm not hungry because I, if you run at math, you know, you just, you don't get that hungry. But if I go out and put in a hard effort and I get home and I'm hungry, I, I don't, you know, sit there and think, oh, you know, I shouldn't really be eating because I might gain weight, right? That's like, I don't, that thought never enters my mind. Like if I'm hungry, I, I, I'll slam two steaks or whatever, uh, you know, I'm hungry for. Well, that's that battle that, uh, even the, the most devoted endurance athletes are fighting is there's this calorie battle in the background because we want to be, lean and mean and looking like the elites and we work so hard and put in 10, 15, 17 hours a week of training and it's not happening too easily. The start of the book Primal Endurance, the first page has that beautiful graphic of the uh, the elephants with their singlets and their race numbers on. It's like, this is the elephant in the room. Sorry, but there's a lot of excess body fat being carried around by serious endurance athletes. And it's a complete disconnect from what it should be like, right? You're working this hard, burning this many calories, training your body to do something that does not require carrying around spare tire, but it's still there. So there's got to be a better way. Yeah. Dude figured it out at no, a certain age. You're going to take us up to that year when you, you, you made some uh, changes in, in course. Well, I, so when I figured it out is when I met you, right? So, uh, I kind of fell off the whole fitness, you know, that's another thing that happens to a lot of people it happened to me, right? You, you gain all this weight, and now all of a sudden you're not interested in working out anymore because it, it's no fun. Right? Oh, right. Okay, so 31 to 37, you were running and doing stuff and gaining weight. Right. And then pretty soon, like, the, the whole the the, uh, the whole thing's slipping away from you. Yeah. You, so, you are getting a little older. Yeah. You're getting busier. you got your you got your daughters, your family. You're, you're, you know, you're not just sitting here in the park wondering how far you're going to run today. Right. And I think this story everyone can relate to. It's like, dang, it's just not as much fun, huh? Yeah. And plus you got all these other family obligations and work and everything. And, you know, by around late thirties, you know, I just basically quit running. Right. But then I met our mutual friend, Scott Dolly, who, um, got me into speed golf and convinced me that I could, if I got in shape, I could compete at the world championships. And so that motivated me to lose uh, 25 pounds doing 
just calorie restriction, right? Doing the, the calorie battle that you, that you mentioned earlier. And it, it is a battle. It's like a, every day, right? Like, oh man, I just ran a 5k in 22 minutes, man. I, I need, you know, I'm going to have half a gallon of ice cream, but you know, we all know that that math doesn't add up. But, uh, so I lost about 25 pounds and went to the world championships and, I think you and I sat next to each other at a dinner or something, and I mentioned that, I th- or maybe Scott mentioned that I, you know, had gotten in shape and whatnot. And you start asking me about it, and you were like, "Hey, no, no, there's like an easier way. Like you don't have to, you know, fight the calorie battle and fight these urges and all that." And uh, I, I don't, I don't remember exactly how much we went into it over dinner, but I know when I got home, I bought Primal Endurance and read the whole thing in like a week and was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is what makes sense to me. And then I, all those memories of like, Oh yeah, you know, I used to run ultras and pass the aid stations without eating anything. Like all that started coming back to me when I was reading the book. Uh, So you kept up your passion with speed golf and then did you get back onto the marathon ultra scene as well? No, uh, not, well, not at first. In fact, since I've gone, um, uh, primal, I've really, I've only run one marathon and, uh, that was a trail marathon that I did back in January. And I had, um, it was such a wonderful, um, experience compared to what I remembered doing in the ultras, like, finishing these ultras just completely spent and exhausted and feeling terrible and waking up the next morning going, Oh my God, I feel like I got hit by a truck. And, you know, I wonder if that's, uh, in large part due to the oxidative stress of banging all that sugar, the inflammation, you wake up the next morning versus, I mean, it's still tough. You're not going to feel like a million bucks the next day, but if you're like a, a low carb, uh, ultra performer, you're going to wake up the next day and feel a lot better. Do you have a compare and contrast? Absolutely. Yeah. So I felt so great after that marathon that, um, I, I came home and I'm like, man, you know, I should really like write down all the stuff that I've been doing. Ate uh, a steak, ate some eggs, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> ran heart rate 125. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I should hmm, write what's the pattern this. here? Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the race was kind of, it was really cool actually. Um, I don't know if I've told you this, but, um, uh, so I finished the race. My cousin was race director and she knows what I'm, what I've been doing. And I crossed the finish line and she goes, man, you don't even look like you broke a sweat. And I, I felt great. And, uh, after, even though my cousin's a race director, she still has to, uh, you know, provide what the market expects, right? So they uh, provide beer and pizza after the race. So this, one of the people she had volunteering came up to me and says, hey, uh, you just finished. Do you want this beer and pizza? And I, I said, no, no, I'm good. And unbeknownst to me, this guy noticed that I declined the beer and pizza and he came over to me and he was like, hey, I noticed you declined the beer and pizza. Are you low carb? And I said, yeah, I sure am. And so we started talking about it and He's read all your books and yours and Mark's books. And That's funny. That could be like a good pickup line too. You know? <laughs> Excuse me. Hey, I babe. Noticed you, <laughs> noticed you got your guacamole without the chips. Are you low carb? 
Yeah. Why y'all you how'd you know? So, okay, so you got talking. Yeah, so so anyway, um met this guy and he and he actually listens to your podcast and he had actually heard me on uh your podcast before. He's like, Oh yeah, man, I've I've heard you and this guy so the rate the run was in outskirts of Austin, but this guy was from Canada. He'd come down the you know, the to escape the negative sixty in Canada and uh came down here to Austin and and had heard of me on your podcast, which was really cool. Um, but he and I guess talking to him, you know, we sat there and talked for like two or three hours after the race because he he's actually a, a very accomplished runner. He ended up getting third place in the in the run, so he had to wait for everyone to finish so, before they passed out the awards. And uh, so we waited for him to get his award, and then we went and ate barbecue. And, uh, uh, like just, I guess it was this fortunate coincidence where I was talking to him about everything that I was doing. So it was all fresh on my mind and I came home and wrote it all down and, uh, uh ultimately want to turn what I wrote down into a course that people can check out and see how it works for themselves. Oh, so you're developing a course for particularly for ultra or endurance runners. Unbelievably, I couldn't believe I, I checked the domain and and painfreemarathon.com was available. So I got it. So that'll probably be the name of the course. I guess that it, uh, you're talking about a lot of different forms of pain, including the, the, the pain and suffering of trying to drop excess body fat while training for a marathon and failing and re- restricting calories and all that stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, it'll encompass all of that, but mostly... Uh, my intent was like, I feel so great after this marathon compared to how I used to feel like people should know about this. So on the diet side, uh, the, the, the turning point of, of getting the primal endurance book and deciding to cut back your carbs or what kind of work did you have to do to modify diet to become that fat burning machine? Um, so I, when I got the primal endurance book, I, um, you know, was very interested in, in figuring it all out. And so when the book referenced, uh, Maffetone, then I checked out Maffetone and f- found out about the two week test. And so I kind of, um, started my diet on accident because I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this right. I'm going to do this two week test. And so I started doing the two week test and as most people and most listeners will know, like the two week test, you cut out like pretty much all carbohydrate. Right. And with the idea of you're going to reintroduce the carbohydrate to see which one um, affects you negatively. Right. See when your stomach starts blowing up again. Yeah. You can Google that Maffetone two week test. It's yeah. pretty, pretty simple. And so many people have reported like a lot of them have come back to me and lost 13 pounds. And it's like, wait a sec, how, you know, you can't lose 13 pounds of fat in two weeks, but the inflammation and water retention and yep. cells throughout the body from eating an inflammatory diet and stuffing face with sugar and uh, grain, processed grain carbohydrates just makes you a bloated human yep. for years and decades. And then in two weeks, so if you're on the fence listening to the show and you can't take two weeks to do a two week carbohydrate exclusion test, 
It's pretty powerful. Maffetone's been doing it for 30 years. He's been advocating for this. You know, we're, we're now coming and joining his bandwagon, uh, which, is, which is great to see because there was kind of ridiculous notions 25 years ago or whenever I first heard about it. What do you mean two-week test? What, what about my gels? How am I going to ride my 70-mile <laughs> ride? But now it's like, wow, you, you do that, that cleanup work and you've, you've built some really nice momentum in just a couple of weeks. Yeah, so, so for me... Um, it was like having the two week test and he, like, if you go on his website, he has says, okay, avoid these foods. Right. And it's like a one pager of stuff you can't eat. I'm like, Oh, that's easy. I'll just do that. Right. And, and so instead of like really kind of going, okay, thinking, okay, is this paleo primal approved and would a caveman have eaten this or whatever? I just stuck to the two-week test because I had a sheet of paper that told me what not to eat, right? Yeah. I'll have the barbecue without the sauce, please. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, and without the sides. Cause down, here, right. down here in Texas, our sides are usually like uh, potato salad and... Uh, mac and cheese. Yeah, mac and cheese and coleslaw with a bunch of sugar added. And Dang, the sides. I mean, the whole, the whole state would be uh, different without the sides. <laughs> it took completely, yeah. Yeah. I was talking to some folks from Nebraska last night at the at the Primal Health Coach gathering. And they're like, you know, we got the best food in the nation right here. We got grass fed animals running around. We got pasture raised eggs for a buck fifty a dozen, right from the farmer. And it's like this could be the center, the epicenter of uh, paleo low carb living, except for all the other stuff that's been thrown down next to it, the yep. loaves of bread and whatever the midwestern you know corn fed. Uh, uh, ideas are it's it's you know they're they're two-thirds of the way there oh they do uh the bread a lot with the barbecue here too like every barbecue place i go to i have to tell them no no don't i don't want the seven pieces of white bread on top of my brisket just you can keep the bread (laughs) well the the combination of carbs and fat yeah is the thing that hijacks the pleasure center the appetite center in the brain there's been some good uh, there was good podcasts and uh, written articles only recently where I've uh, been exposed to this more where we're not accustomed to getting both of those things at the same time. Oh, and yeah. It's like the greatest pleasure known to mankind or one of the greatest pleasures known to mankind is to take these two agents together. And I guess in the, uh, you know, primal ancestors were binging on sugar, fruit, in narrow ripening seasons of the year, right before winter. So in the fall, they'd go and hit the berries hard and actually were programmed to store excess body fat to make it through the long, cold winter with uh, uncertain food supply. And so we have that sweet tooth. We can uh, you know, manage that at certain times of the year, maybe put on a few extra pounds, go through winter. We can live that primal lifestyle now. But instead, what we're doing is we're getting the, you know, the pineapples shipped into the big box store in the middle of winter. We're cutting those up and serving those along with the brisket and the, uh, the, the, the great uh, you know, high fat and high, highly nutritious foods. But going together, that's where you get the classic yeah. junk food uh, multi-billion dollar industry is the the Twinkie, the Ding Dong. Those are fat and sugar, fat and sugar. How about ice cream, Ben and Jerry's? Donuts. Yeah. yeah. Donuts. Donuts like the the perfect awful food. Right, it's right. Like a, uh, the worst processed white flour. Uh, vegetable oil. Co- covered, yeah, cooked, uh, 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 fried in vegetable oil, and then coated with uh, refined sugar. And just, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I'm, 
you hear these um, messages about people going and celebrating at the donut place or, oh, I'm addicted to this great chain of, I don't even remember the names. Uh, Krispy Kreme like went out of business, yeah. right? But there's another one that's come up. And if you go to Portland, you got to go get these donuts. They're epic. Even if you're paleo, it's worth it. Try it. And it's like, no, it's not. Let's put those fools out of business. They're serving us shit that's going to kill us. Yeah. They should be down the street from the hospital. Sorry, everybody to, you know, take it down a notch. But <laughs> I think the good thing about like this, this movement is you can grab these cookbooks or look at videos, recipes and try some delicious high fat treats. If you want to have a celebratory dessert, like my big George chocolate mousse, it's eggs, butter and 85% dark chocolate. Ooh, that's it. That's it. You melt the you melt the chocolate in the butter, and then you uh, separate the eggs. You put the yolks in with the melted chocolate and butter, and then you fluff up the whites and you mix it all together. I put top secret shh coconut milk. I threw a few mm. like quarter cup in there nice. while I'm stirring everything up. You put it in the fridge, and you have this decadent dessert that's as good as anything they'll serve at the restaurant when they throw sugar into this chocolate mousse. But this is traditional French chocolate mousse recipe that Big George learned when he was a kid in France and is brought back to Lake Tahoe and all enthusiasts that want to try it. It's fantastic. And it's so nutritious, you can have it for breakfast. You got eggs. You got 85% dark chocolate, which has good uh, polyphenols and antioxidants and very minimal sugar in the entire thing. So why do we need to go get a processed donut? If you're going to go treat yourself, do something that's... What about the uh, uh, ice cream in downtown Seattle, downtown Portland? I've talked about on the show before where they make these vegan, handmade ice creams using things like kale infused into the ice cream so it turns green. And I had um, salty caramel ash ice cream when I was in Seattle last summer. Last time I had ice cream, admittedly, but it's like you want to go do indulgent, pleasant things like that that's part of enjoying life, that's great. But at least choose something that's been handmade with love and care and presented to you. Maybe it is a homemade cheesecake or whatever it is, but we got to like escalate our um, ability to enjoy life by choosing selectively, especially when it's a treat. Yeah, totally. I mean, but real quick, by the way, we have to go to the uh, Lick ice cream here in Austin where they got the uh, ice cream made from grass-fed cows and all natural ingredients and everything. This show is sponsored by local ice cream joint in Austin and not by the sticky, gooey energy gel that we've been slamming for the time. But yeah, I, I totally agree with um, your notion that you've said on the show before about like, okay, if you're in New York and you're on vacation and you're going to eat at like the world's finest uh, bakery and they've got like an amazing whatever it is that you like, creme brulee or... Magnolia bakery, banana cream pie, man. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, that thing's made with uh, all natural, wholesome ingredients and you're going to try it because you're in New York. Yeah, go for it, man. But yeah, you know the thing, though. Like, don't don't confuse that with the store bought banana cream pie that's you know uh, shipped in from uh, Cisco Foods and has been <laughs> riding on a truck across country after, after they delivered to the prison. Yeah, and the and the the school cafeterias then coming straight to you with this chemical laden absolute garbage. Yeah, yeah, and we're 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 conditioned through marketing to. Uh, believe that somehow those two items are equivalent and that we're mm. somehow giving ourselves this treat when we buy this piece of crap thing from factory made thing at the store. But hey, it's a banana cream pie. 
Yeah, you well, know, then it's association not really. with, um, you know, we have all these emotional associations with food, especially the smells. And so we have grandma baking us cookies. Most of us hopefully had some warm baked cookies from grandma. And that's what they're preying upon when they're putting them in a, in a box, the oatmeal raisin cookies. Yeah. And we are, we are going back to warm, loving memories of family tradition when we're buying that shit in the, in the box. Yep. It's, it's something to wake up to. And speaking of that, not only not not equating those, but the idea of that treat when you're on vacation in New York, and I'm being wise guy on the podcast talking about my going to the Magnolia Bakery, and I've been talking about popcorn binges in recent episodes, and my my new friend Alfredo last night goes, man, I like how you're on the show and you're real and you're talking about you know real life and having those popcorn things, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, and you know what? Um, those popcorn uh, celebrations started to leak in to become more and more routined and patterned rather than a, a celebration when I'm visiting family and there's eight people and we're sitting around, we're going to watch a fun show or something. And I'm like, I'll make a huge giant bowl of popcorn with tons of butter and lemon olive oil on top and salt. And it tastes so good. And it's so such a rare treat. I haven't touched it in 10 years. And then like, Oh yeah, let's, let's do it again tonight. Everybody's here. We're still celebrating. And then when I go home, I'm, maybe I should get one of my own air popping machines and we'll do it uh, once in a while or more than once in a while. And I'm identifying myself. Like I let these things leak into the picture just because it's no big deal. If you want to go celebrate on popcorn, sure. I told the people on the show they could do that, but there's a, there's a fork in the road yeah. where you depart from celebration and unique special occasion and mindful enjoyment of a treat. And then you start drifting down this path of habit. And that's that slippery slope where I'm like, geez, you know, maybe, maybe I now have to be mindful and intentional to deliberately uh, eliminate these things and, and make a commitment to myself just to recalibrate from, oh yeah, whatever, you know? Yeah. I, I like your, um, um, you know, comment, the slippery slope of habit. It's so like we're, we're like we were talking about last night with I did the same thing with red wine and oh yeah yeah and exact same story I'm like I this sounds familiar it, dude yeah then you'd have one by your computer at night and it was part of ritual and comforting and all those things but then it's like wait what's that wine doing there yeah I love it yeah I love and it. I and I noticed you know I don't know maybe eight eight to twelve months ago like hey I'm sitting in front of my computer like every night with a glass of wine sometimes too. What is that about? You know, and dang son, I, here's what I noticed. I'm non-drinker, right? Yeah, cleaning up after parties, and I'm doing the taking the garbage out and separating the recycling and the regular, and it's like bottles of wine. One, two, three, four, five, six. I'm like, wait, how many people at the party? Uh, <laughs> Tommy, Joey, Stevie, Lenny, Jenny. Uh, well, we're getting like matched up here. One bottle per person. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or stuff like that where you yeah. kind of wake up and go, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, at, by the same token, I'm not like, I, did, I haven't renounced wine just like you haven't renounced popcorn, but. Right. Good let, point. Let's um, uh, redefine that back to where we had it as a special occasion. You know, for, you know, your friend comes in town from, uh, Sacramento for Paleo Effects. Maybe you're going to have a, a glass of wine at the PHC uh, gathering. If it's, if it's dry farm wine. Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Um, listen to that show on uh, Get Over Yourself podcast with Todd White, purveyor of dry farm wines, for if you're interested in wine. And he talks about how 
and naturally raise wine, which is the only thing he carries is imports from Europe because they're grown without irrigation and there's no sugar in them because they allow the grape to ferment all the sugar out, which is how wine is supposed to be made. And it's been made for hundreds, thousands of years. And no glyphosate. And no, no junk in there. Yeah. Compared to a commercial wine that's been put through the machinery and they use chemicals to retard the fermentation of the sugar so they can preserve more sugar in there to please the uh, spoiled American palate. And it was a real eye-opening show for me. Uh, and then he, he, you know, was proceeding to describe in the show, like, well, tonight, Brad, when you drink, you'll realize. I'm like, no, I'm not drinking. He goes, yeah, you are. <laughs> and uh, they poured some last night, too. I had a few sips, and it, it tastes great. And if you drink a lot of it, you can get the alcohol effect pretty quickly, right? You get buzzed. But I remember that night when I drank a lot with him, I was buzzed. I was, I guess I could say wasted. I was getting silly and happy. And then it wore off, wore off, wore off. And then I was, I had burned through the alcohol and I felt perfectly fine as opposed to drinking too much, waking up the next day and feeling like crap and having to, and, and Todd argues that that a lot of that's from the sugar binge along with the alcohol binge along with the chemical. Uh, and Mark Sisson wrote about this on Mark's Daily Apple where he stopped drinking red wine because he started waking up in the middle of the night and feeling like crap. And that was believed to be his liver detoxing and then waking him up because it had been working hard to get rid of this stuff because all these chemicals in the wine. So it's worth checking out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to, I mean, even now today, I, if I'm going to drink red wine, it's not going to be, you know, some commercial, it's just, just like the banana, banana cream pie, right? It's, I'm going to pick quality. I like it. Dude Spellings, we got to get into your uh, oh, yeah. pain-free marathon. But this is a great show, and we got to know you, which is great, and lots of things to think about, especially that slippery slope, man. Yeah, for sure. And then the way you can do it differently, I like that too. I mean, especially if you've been out there sucking down those gels and being frustrated with excess body fat at the same time. There's an entirely different approach. Totally. So Chris Kelly, Nourish, Balance, Thrive, we're, we're talking about health and you're telling me a funny story about your picky four-year-old daughter that won't eat unless there's Primal Kitchen uh, condiments on the table. It's true. My daughter will not eat unless there's f***ing the Primal Kitchen Wilder. <laughs> it's, it's this cute thing, actually, she does. We have a local state park called Wilder Ranch. Oh, yeah. And uh, she calls the ranch dressing Wilder Ranch dressing. Which <laughs> we, 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 there's no way we're going to correct her on that. It's just too perfect. It's so, so endearing. Uh, how old um, is she? She's four. Oh my god! So she likes like the mayo on. Oh yeah, she so she loves those. So we love them as well. We have uh, we we eat them all the time. We eat the mayo. We eat the balsamic. We eat the the ranch. Um, the avocado oil we use all the time, and, and so you know that's completely genuine. And I don't mind talking about that because you took the pain in the ass out of condiments. I really appreciate that. What an authentic spot from Chris Kelly at Nourish, Balance, Thrive. And yes, Primal Kitchen, you can call it Wilder Ranch Dressing if you want. <laughs> and uh, we'll send five cents of the proceeds over to that beautiful state park because they're, they're trying to make ends meet in Santa Cruz Mountains. Thank you very much, Chris. <laughs> it's my pleasure. 